Let there be joy in our coming together this morning. Let there be truth heard in the words that we speak and the songs that we sing. And let there be help and healing for our disharmony and despair. Let there be silence for the voice within us and beyond us. Let there be joy in our coming together. Those were the words of Carl Seberg, and I'm Reverend Bob LaValle. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with Reverend Angela Herrera, our senior minister and interim minister, Matt Partridge of Villarreal, and music director, Susan Peck. Our worship leader today is Geraldine Bowen, and our director, a director of religious education, Mia Norin, is sharing today's Time for All Ages. Plus, we're so happy to be joined by our, our house band, Spare Parts. Our DJ today is Tech Arts Director, Chris Paul, and our tech team is Michaela Renz-Whitmore, Alex and Erica Johnson-Jimenez, Raymond Wolfgang, and Graham Bowkett. Our tech folks deserve extra love this time of year with all the extra services that we do. So if you see them around, say thanks. And if you're visiting today and you're comfortable with it, you're invited to put your name and location in the chat so we can say, hey. Geraldine has a couple of announcements. Here are the announcements for the holiday weeks ahead through the end of the year. We will hold two Christmas Eve services on Friday. At 5 p.m., whoa! The puppets have taken over the whole service and are doing it all by themselves. Well, with a little help from the ministers and the musicians. Join us for this heartwarming service on Zoom using the same link as Sunday mornings. Then at 7 p.m., we'll also have a traditional human-led service in the sanctuary with music. As always, an offering will be taken at each service to fund the church's food pantry in the coming year. In between, everyone, especially families with children, is invited to wear festive face masks and gather in the church courtyard at 6.30 to sing some favorite carols. Song sheets with lyrics will be provided. Young people can send song requests to Susan Peck by today, Sunday, December 19th, and are encouraged to help lead the singing of their favorites. Weather permitting, at the end of the in-person service, we will hold our candle lighting ceremony in the courtyard so that everybody can sing Silent Night as we light up the night. It will probably be chilly, so plan to bundle up. And P.S. A recording of the puppet service will also be available for kids and grown-ups to watch online anytime starting the morning of Christmas Eve. Finally, there will be no Vespers on Wednesday, December 29th and the church office will be closed that week out of appreciation for their resilience and adaptability in the second pandemic year. The church staff are being given a collective time of rest between Christmas and New Year's. Angela Herrera will be on call for any urgent pastoral care needs. So we come together in the dark of the year to light this chalice of faith in the human spirit. We come, we come together in very dark times to keep the flame of love alive in our hearts. 
On the longest night in the never-ending cycle of seasons, we come together and witness to the eternal dawn that lives at the bottom of our being. Be of good cheer and let us worship together. said we're up here for the holiday Jane and I were having solstice now we need a place to stay and her Christ loving uncle watched his wife hang Mary on a tree he watched his son hang candy canes all made with red dye number three he told his niece it's Christmas Eve I know our life is not your style she said Christmas is like solstice and we miss you and it's been a while so the christians and the pagans sat together at the table finding faith and common ground the best that they were able and just before the meal was served hands were held and prayers were said sending hope for peace on earth to all their gods and goddesses the food was great the tree plugged in the meal had gone without a hitch till Timmy turned to Amber and said, is it true that you're a witch? His mom jumped up and said, the pies are burning and she hit the kitchen and it was Jane who spoke. She said, it's true, your cousin's not a Christian, but we love trees, we love the snow, the friends we have, the world we share. You find magic from your God, and we find magic everywhere. So the Christians the Christian, and the pagans the sat pagan together, together at the table, wow. finding faith finding and common ground, the best that they were able. Wow. Where does magic come from? I think magic's in the learning. Cause now when Christians sit with pagans, only pumpkin pies are burning. Amber tried to do the dishes. Her aunt said, really, no, don't bother. Amber's uncle saw how Amber looked like Tim and like her father. He thought about his brother, how they hadn't spoken in a year. He thought he'd call him up and say, it's Christmas and your daughter's here. He thought of father's sons and daughters, saw his own son tug his sleeve, saying, can I be a pagan? Dad said, we'll discuss it when they leave. So the Christians the Christian, and the pagans the pagan, sat together, together at the table, finding faith finding and common ground, the best that they were able. Lighting trees in darkness, learning new ways from the old, and making sense of history, and drawing warmth out of the Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> excuse me, let's pause the chat now for a few minutes for meditation and prayer. And uh, before I start meditation words, you'll notice during our silence today, there'll be an image of a dove on the screen instead of the chalice like we usually have. And that's part of the December tradition at First Unitarian, where you're invited to write a prayer or a wish or blessing for the new year on a dove. And so if you've been attending by Zoom, you can do that by holding a piece of paper up to the screen and tracing the dove and then writing your prayer on it. Or you can follow the link later uh, and print one out and you can hang it in your home or you can send it into the church and we'll add it to the tree with the other doves folks have written prayers and blessings on. Well, we are just a few days away from the winter solstice now with the longest night and the shortest day of the whole year. In his short poem, To Know the Dark, Wendell Berry writes, to go in the dark with a light is to know the light. To know the dark, go dark without sight and find that the dark too blooms and sings and is traveled by dark feet and dark wings. Barry is a naturalist poet, so those would be the literal feet and wings of deer and owls, creatures who are at home in the darkness. And we humans need darkness too, don't we? It nourishes our bodies, our minds, our souls. In darkness, there's healing rest and quiet and comfort. Let's spend a little time in meditation now. And if you like, you can close your eyes, inviting an extra moment of nourishing dark. Let's breathe together. See if you can soften any areas of tension, melt like a marshmallow in a cup of hot chocolate. How about that? Breathe and soften as we continue in silence.
As a congregation of spiritual seekers and as members of the human family, we're all in this together. So let us share our ups and our downs with one another. This is a communal space in which to celebrate our sources of meaning and joy. It is also a caring space in which we can give voice to our struggles and strains. So please use the chat box to tell us first what lifts your heart up in this holiday season and then what worries your mind or causes you pain. If for any reason you can't write in the chat box this morning, we still want to hear from you. We encourage you to be in touch by emailing caring at uuabq.org.
all these we lift up. And to these I add David Manning, who has entered hospice. We hold David and his wife Sarah in our love. And we remember Paul Kasky, who died unexpectedly this week. We hold Paul's wife Mary and his mom Molly and all who loved him in our care too. And I'm remembering the writer and teacher Bell Hooks, who also died this week. She was one of my first feminist teachers when I read her essays as a teenager. She introduced many people to feminism and specifically black feminism. Hooks wrote that feminism is ultimately about love, about being in right relationships with one another. And she said, to love well is the task in all meaningful relationships, not just romantic bonds. May she rest now in the love that holds all. Will you join me in prayer? Source of all, we give thanks for the light and the dark, for the brown branches that hold next year's secret leaves and blossoms, for the deep peace of wild places beyond and within us, for one another. And we lift our loved ones and all our prayers up to you, to the great powers of healing and renewal and celebration known by many names. We remember the many unspoken prayers among us. We remember all who are caregivers, all who are grieving, all who are experiencing financial hardship or unemployment, all who are experiencing addiction or illness, or painful relationships, all who are suffering in any way. May they find themselves held in this larger love. May love pour down on each and give them peace. We pray for our world entering its third pandemic year, conflicted world, miraculous world, filled with conflicted and miraculous humans. May compassion prevail. May wisdom prevail. May peace prevail. Around the globe, in the US, in Albuquerque, and in our own souls. This is our aspiration and our ambitious prayer. May it guide us in the living of all our days so that it passes from one person to another. And in this way, May we make our lives a blessing upon others through our manner of being in this world. Amen. And peace be with you. This is a song about Joseph's part in the Christmas story. And Joseph maybe experienced a little bit of envy in his part in this story. This is the Cherry Tree Carol. Joseph was an old man, an old man was he, when he married Virgin Mary in the land of Galilee. When he married Virgin Mary, the Queen of Galilee, Joseph and Mary walked through an orchard green 
as thick as might be seen. There were berries and cherries as thick as might be seen. Oh, then we spoke, Mary, in a voice meek and mild, pluck me one cherry, Joseph, for I am with child. Pluck me one cherry, Joseph, for I such a pretty song. Well, I know that this is usually the moment in the service when you hear today's reading and sermon, and we are going to do that in just a second. But this week, Bob and I had a couple of tough conversations that we think you would want to know about. So we're just going to take a minute to fill you in about that. One of the things that we talked about is that attendance has actually been increasing on Sundays. It's almost doubled since summer. We've got close to 300 people showing up each week now, evenly split roughly between the in-person and Zoom services. And I guess if, if you are, some of you are listening right now with a family member or friend, there are even more people than logins at this service. That was a good conversation to have. We are really thrilled to see this congregation reconnecting, might even say resurrecting, after the most challenging time in its 72-year history. 
And in the coming year, we're planning some new groups and classes, and we're going to do a deep dive into diversity and racial justice. But what made our conversations tough this week is us facing the reality that fundraising is lagging behind the rest of our momentum. It really is. The 2022 budget is going to be set at our annual meeting next month. And if we had to do that with the amount of pledges we've received so far, we would be facing a 25% shortfall. This is a really big amount. It's not something that we can fix with a few small snips to the budget. 25% is, for example, more than all of the administrative and IT staff and all of the office expenses that we depend on to run this place combined. Or 25% is more than the entire amount that we contribute to the UUA, plus the cost of our entire music program, including its director, and the entire children's programs, including its director. 25% is more than both of your minister's salaries combined and all of the utility bills for the church campus for the whole year. I have gone over and over our budget spreadsheet looking for ways to cut costs without reducing our mission or our outreach. And I'm going to keep at it, but it is going to take more than that. We have got to come together if we're going to make this work. And for most of you, this is not the first time that you've heard about the pledge campaign. So to the 368 households that have made a pledge so far, thank you very much. We know this year was tough for many people and you got us 75% of the way there. I just know though, that if we did not tell everybody where things stand, like if we just let the board present you with a horrible budget next month, I think you'd be upset. And that budget would upset me too, honestly. So we still hope to hear from 140 households that pledged last year, but haven't done so yet this year. I know most of them have been meaning to, and it will make a big difference if and when they do. And the church also depends on first time pledges each year. In 2021, some members have died and some moved away, sad to say. That's always the case every year. So first time pledges of all sizes, of any size, could not be more important. If you're wondering whether a pledge would make a difference, yes, it would. So there you have it. There we have it. Yep. This church is what we make it. I believe in us. I believe in us too. We're better together. So let's show up for each other now so that we can shine all year. Our reading today is Five Easy Prayers for Pagans, a poem by Philip Appleman. This is one of five prayers making sarcastic appeals to modern day gods. This, this one is directed to the money god. O mammon, thou who art daily dissed by everyone yet boast more true disciples than all other gods combined. Thou whose eerie sheen gleameth from corporate headquarters and Vatican treasury alike. Thou whose glittering eye impales us in the x-ray vision of plastic surgeons, the golden leer of televangelists, the star-spangled gloat of politicos. 
O mammon, come down to us in the form of treasuries, annuities, and high-grade bonds. Yield unto us those Benedict Ardell funds, those quicksand convertible securities, even the wet Judas kiss of futures contracts. For unto the least of these thy supplements, thy supplicants, art thou welcome in all thy many forms. But well, now comes to say we're finally in the gentry. Use the service entry. A little sarcasm for you. Back in the early 90s, I was fresh out of the Marine Corps and I'd moved back to Ithaca, New York, where I'd gone to college. And that move was comfortable, but also was a kind of failure of imagination and of ambition. I was working a bunch of different human service jobs, including, including managing a homeless shelter. And I was also working in a wine shop just to make my life even weirder. I was pretty dissatisfied with my life and had not a clue what to do. So the obvious thing was to take a week long solo backpack down the long trail in Vermont in early November, right? That's the obvious thing. Well, I'd never done a solo backpack back trip before. And I was shocked to discover that my own company was much more irritating than I expected. This also raised some questions about how my company is perceived by other people, but that wasn't what was interesting me at the time. As I walked those lonely miles, there was nothing to distract me from myself. And I started to see my habits of mind, the stories that I repeated myself and the postures that I took without reflecting upon them. Well, I'm not gonna get into what those were today and really, they're not that interesting, I promise you. But it speaks to today's sermon. What I'm hoping to do today is give us a miniature version of that, an opportunity to think about how we think, our habits of thought, and maybe offer a little chance to make a little correction. Specifically, I want to get to three habits of mind, envy, sarcasm, and cynicism. Three, three thieves of joy. Let's dig in. Two weeks ago, Angela told a great story about envy. Do you remember it? The farmer who saw his neighbor building a nice new house and he, he spoke to his rabbi about how the envy was just eating him up inside. And the rabbi told him to move a goat into his house and then two and so on. And when the goats left, the farmer found that he loved his house after all. The problem wasn't his house, the problem was the act of comparing his house to a nicer house. Well, envy is, a fundament, is fundamentally the act of looking at something that's not ours and deciding that we are lacking. Lacking attractiveness, lacking friends, lacking money, lacking power. All by comparison. It's the act of looking. Envy is one of the seven deadly sins, supposedly. You may have read Dante's Purgatorio, which is the second part of the Divine Comedy. In the Purgatorio, Dante is led through purgatory by the Roman poet Vigil, Virgil. Purgatory is where sinners move up a mountain through seven terraces, one for each sin. And when Dante gets to the terrace, that is for those who have committed the sin of envy, he finds that the sinners there have had their eyes sewn shut with iron wire. Their eyes were sewn shut. The metaphor is pretty clear. 
It's the looking with our eyes beyond ourselves and comparing that is the source of our suffering and sinning. When we close our eyes, hopefully not with iron wire, we can escape envy. Now, the interesting thing about envy is that unlike the other so-called deadly sins, envy is not really fun. I mean, sloth, wonderful, lust, great. Who doesn't like a little gluttony now and then? Those are fun. But nobody says, I need a good time, so I'm going to spend this evening wishing I had my neighbor's house. It makes you wonder what the appeal is. Well, I don't think envy is particularly innate in people. It's not a built-in feature. And I don't think envy is always the result of a character flaw. Nowadays, envy is driven by capitalism. There's a study that shows that people in countries where companies spend less on marketing experience less envy. Citizens of those countries don't compare themselves to other people as much. So spending on marketing in the United States is twice what it is in England and four times what it is in Sweden. Guess which country experiences less envy as a matter of day-to-day -day life? Well, Sweden, because there, there are not a ton of very smart people with a ton of money trying to make the citizens feel bad and in turn believe that buying something will make them feel better. Marinating in advertising like we are in the United States, of course we're gonna compare our lot to another's. We run the danger of becoming like the hungry ghosts in Tibetan Buddhism. These are mythical creatures who have huge bellies and tiny, tiny little throats. And with these tiny throats, they can't possibly fulfill the hunger of their huge bellies just wander around hungry and unsatisfied. When we're bombarded by marketing, we can't help but become hungry ghosts unless we break that way of thinking very intentionally. Let's move on to sarcasm. Sarcasm is when we say something when we mean the exact opposite thing. We say something when we mean the exact opposite thing. But the tricky thing is that that is also the definition of verbal irony. The thing that makes sarcasm sarcasm is the intent. Sarcasm is meant to do harm, to express contempt or mockery. So here's one of my favorite jokes. You know who invented sarcasm? I did. It's hilarious, but it's not really sarcasm. I'm not trying to make anyone feel stupid. I obviously did not invent sarcasm although I lived in the capital of sarcasm, Boston, Massachusetts for 15 years. So I'm like a ninja of sarcasm. But that joke is verbal irony. However, say you thought this sermon was really terrible and you saw me after worship and in a particular tone of voice, you said to me, great sermon, Bob, just great. That would be sarcasm. And although I have a big enough ego to that I just assumed that you were sincere. I wouldn't really, wouldn't really land with me, but it's still sarcasm because of the intent. The root of sarcasm, the word, is to tear, like tearing fabric or skin. So there's, there's a violence around sarcasm, about sarcasm. At the same time, sarcasm truly can be hilarious. I mean, some folks laughed at the nice sermon Bob line, I'm sure, right? right? It's pretty funny. And that's why sitcoms are mostly sarcasm machines. But that seductive power of sarcasm is what makes it so dangerous, dangerous 
as a habit of mind and of communication. Many years ago, when I was living in Boston, I was in a relationship with a wonderful woman. She was beautiful and smart and funny. And somehow we got into a rhythm of regularly indulging in sarcasm. Both of us had been burned pretty badly by an experience with a nonprofit where we both worked. And the sarcasm we made about our managers really did relieve the pain of that experience. But somehow that habit of sarcasm spread to talking about everything. And the irreverence was funny at first, and then it became a habit of mind and a habit of communication. And eventually that posture of never being sincere infected our feelings for each other. And that was the death of the relationship. There's a reason that a good therapist won't let their patients practice sarcasm. I've had therapists that would just stare at me stony-eyed when I made sarcastic remarks. I'd be thinking, come on, man, that was hilarious. But the therapist was right. That posture of sarcasm was a way of distancing myself from what I was really feeling. If we're going to work on ourselves, we have to start by saying what we mean, not by some kind of deflection. And I love that there's a religious basis for avoiding sarcasm. In Judaism, for example, there is a rule called onus devarim, which is the prohibition to say, say anything that would pain, anger, hurt, frighten, bother, or embarrass another person. That includes sarcasm. So on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, practitioners of Judaism use a prayer book that is specific to that observance. It's called the Mishkin Hanafesh. And it includes a specific prayer that should be said aloud to repent for making dumb jokes and sarcastic comments, very specifically. And our cousins, the Quakers, come down very hard on sarcasm because they endeavor to speak the truth all the time. As they put it, sarcasm violates the testimony to plain speech. That's because sarcasm is a kind of lying, a kind of lying with the intent that the person hearing it will understand what, that you mean the opposite of what you're actually saying. That's the opposite of plain speech. It's an important thing for Quakers. In 1945, the Quaker educator Thomas Kelly wrote, brevity, earnest, sincerity, and frequently a lack of polish characterize the best Quaker speaking. That's the opposite of sarcasm, I'd say. Sarcasm is a kind of violence that we lay upon each other, but it's also a way of dissociating, of detaching ourselves from our real feelings. And more importantly, the sincere expression of those real feelings. In a covenantal religion like Unitarian Universalism, we are tied together by our relationships. Sarcasm, as amusing as it can be, is toxic to those relationships. So let's be bravely sincere and step away from that habit of communication. On to our final thief of, thief of joy, cynicism. Cynicism actually started as a philosophy in ancient Greece. There was this guy, Diogenes, who was one of the original cynics in Athens. And he thought that society had become corrupt and confused. And he thought that any attempt at putting on airs beyond basic survival was ridiculous. 
he and his followers lived in the streets and they did their bodily functions in public and had sex in public. So they were referred to as dogs. And that's how the root of the word cynic is dog. Now he, Diogenes had no regard for status or position. One day he was sunbathing and Alexander the Great, the Alexander the Great, asked him if there was any favor that Alexander could do for him. And Diogenes replied, yes, can you stand out of my sunlight? He was eventually, Diogenes was eventually captured by pirates and sold into slavery. So anyways, modern day cynicism doesn't have that much to do with Diogenes, but what a great story, right? Well, sadly, folks know all too well what cynicism is. Who hasn't felt cynical in the last two years? Who hasn't felt cynical in the last week? Some cynicism is justified. There are plenty of people operating in bad faith, plenty of institutions operating in bad faith. And if we are to keep our sanity, our sanity and our integrity, being cynical can be kind of helpful. But we need to be intentional and understand when we're being cynical and why. I remember when I moved to DC, uh, I had gotten a gig in a nonprofit consulting practice down there. And one of our areas of work was, a, was federal policy on out of school time for children. So out of school time is things like after school programs and summer programs and so, summer programming and so on. And I was at a happy hour somewhere and talking with folks from other organizations who were also doing this work. And we were talking about a new federal po program that was coming on to bolster the experience of children in after school. Well, I was fresh from Boston, the capital of sarcasm, and also Boston is the possessor of a strong culture of cynicism. And I casually said something like, yeah, I doubt it's gonna make any difference, so why bother? And one of the people who was with me turned to me, cocktail glass in hand, and very gently asked, if you're not here to try to make things better, what are you here for? Well, that just floored me. He was absolutely right. I was using cynicism to ignore my responsibility to try to make the system I was working in better in whatever small way. And I hadn't realized I was doing that until I got called in. I can't remember who said that to me, but I'll be grateful to them for the rest of my life. So cynicism has some virtues. It's important to see things as they are and it's healthy to question things. You know, we're Unitarian Universalists, we love to question. But when cynicism paralyzes us, when cynicism is no longer an excuse to do the work, then that's a problem. You know what's interesting to me is how little cynicism I see here at First Unitarian. I want to be real. Being in a church can break our hearts. We bring our authentic selves to a place that we hope shares our values. Because it's a human institution, of course, sometimes we fall short. I'll own the fact that sometimes I've fallen short and I've probably broken people's hearts. For that, I'm really, really sorry. But the thing that just amazes me, that fills me with such hope and gratitude is the people in, the congregation, in this congregation who pick themselves up and bind up their broken hearts and come back to church. I respect a lot of people in this church, but the ones I respect the most are the ones who see the flaws of this church, who maybe even had their hearts broken by this church and who stick around. These are the ones who don't succumb to cynicism. 
ones who stay and fight to make this church a better place, who aren't satisfied with where we are as a religious community. They're not alone. Angela and Susan and I love this church, and we're not satisfied with it. All our staff love this church, and they're not satisfied with it. Our incredible lay leaders love this church, and they aren't satisfied with it. We're in the midst of our strategic planning process where we as a body will decide the direction of the church for the next five years. And I want to give a hearty thank you to the folks who are running that show. Heather Clark, Gil Gutierrez, Michael McDonald, Michaela Renz-Whitmore, and Amy Sun. We are so grateful for their work on behalf of the future of this congregation. The strategic planning process is the opposite of cynicism. It's an act of hope, but not the let's just cross our fingers and hope it works out kind of hope. It's the hope that is yoked to action, a hope that doesn't stop just at wanting change, but it works for change. That's the opposite of cynicism. And I actually, and while I'm on it, I want to remind folks that there will be an opportunity to speak with the strategic planning team after the service. The link for that Zoom room, it'll be in a separate Zoom room. That link will be shared at the end of the service. They really, really want to hear what you think. Well, you've heard me say that action is the antidote to despair. Unchecked cynicism is a symptom of despair. And making a plan and following through is the antidote. May we check our habits of mind and see when we succumb to envy and cynicism. May we check our habits of communication and see when we succumb to a reflex of sarcasm. May we dream and plan our way into becoming a stronger, more loving congregation. And I say this with no sarcasm whatsoever. Amen. Tis the season to be generous. At the winter solstice, we have the chance to do that by giving to Enquinto, our Change for the Future recipient for December and February. This is an organization dedicated to empowering Latinx immigrant families by providing them with educational and career opportunities that can lead not only to the, to the betterment of their lives, but also to the blossoming of an inclusive New Mexico community in which everyone thrives. Based on its belief that a quality education builds both individual and collective knowledge, and that with that and and that with that knowledge, with that knowledge comes the power to bring about economic and social justice. Enquinto is seeding a future for the land of enchantment in which all our people can claim their innate right to live with dignity and contribute to the common good. What you give will help Enquinto carry out this wise and departed mission. If you prefer not to give online, you can mail a check to the church earmarked Change for the Future on the memo line. In addition, we'd like to remind folks that our pledge campaign is continuing. If you haven't pledged yet, please do. In our own mission to make the world a better place to be human, let us share our many blessings. Let us give with love and joy. The offering will now be taken.
When it's late December, dark and cold, where is the light? When old man year is bending low, where is his light? When the sun runs off to bed too soon, where is the light? And there's nothing but a skinny moon, where is the light? Can you tell me where is the light? Where is the light? Where is the light? Oh, the light's inside of me. Well, it's dark each morning when I rise. Where is the light? And it's still dark when my eggs are frying. Where is the light? And it's dark when off to work I go. Where is the light? And it's dark again when I get home. Where is the light? Can you tell me where is the light? Where is the light? Where is the light? Oh, the light's inside of me. It's in my skin and in my bones. It's in my heart and in my soul. The light of life so bright and golden like a summer day. When the sun goes missing in the sky, it is rising in my eyes, chasing all that winter gloom away. Where is the light? And I'm twinkling like the Pleiades. Where is the light? And I'm dancing like a candle flame. Where is the light? And I'm flaming like a fruit flambe. Where is the light? Can you tell me where is the light? Where is the light? Where is the light? Oh, the light's inside of me. Can you tell me where is the light? Where is the light? Where is the light? Oh, the light's inside of me. Two, three, four, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, shine, shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What is given in generosity is received in gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and our Change for the Future recipient in Buentro. We are coming to the end of our service, but we would love it if you would stay and have coffee with us, virtually speaking, that is. If you'd like to the opportunity to chat with a few of your fellow sibling congregants, please stay on this meeting after the credits, and you will be placed into one of our breakout rooms. To get the conversation started, here is a question, a discussion question to consider. What are some of the ways in which you can work to combat cynicism and sarcasm in your own life? What are some of the ways that you can work to combat cynicism and sarcasm in your own life? And now, before we end our service, I invite you to navigate to gallery view. Look at all of the wonderful smiling faces back at you. Participate in our Pacham greeting together. Place one hand over your heart, extend the other hand out to the gallery, making eye contact with people as is comfortable.
Let's extinguish our chalices. As we extinguish our chalices, may we dream and plan our way into being a stronger, more loving congregation. Go in peace, gentle people, and practice radical love.